Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? I've been hearing a lot of Cincinnati fans expressing some displeasure. How is this possible? How is it possible there's any displeasure in beating a really good football team? 36 to 33. The Bearcats have won. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan. Indeed, it is. As you mentioned, Bearcats coming off a wild back and forth 36-33 victory over Central Florida. A game that, that made Bearcat fans nervous, I think, for the first time this entire season. That first quarter, Hummer, was quite stressful. Oh, quite stressful. Very stressful. That's... I think at one point I, I texted you and I said, we're getting exposed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that first drive, they go right down the field, score a touchdown. Um, all your biggest fears as a Bearcat fan are coming to fruition. We know that Elijah Ponder at that point is not going to be playing. We knew that last week when he went out, uh, the defense just looked a little weaker. They looked a little more vulnerable. He's a big, important piece on that defensive front. Without him, you know, you're concerned. Are you going to get enough pressure on Dylan Gabriel to actually hold this, this incredible UCF offense down. And after that quick start, obviously Ryan Montgomery struggled on the punt returns, uh, two back-to-back fumbles, one of which actually cost the Bearcats the ball. And that, that allowed central Florida to get off to that 14, three lead. Yeah. And you know, in that first drive too, we noticed that UCF like, like, like we've been, you know, we thought was going to happen. They took some shots downfield they narrowly missed on the first one, but they went right back at it the next play and connected on. It. You're like, Oh crap. Is this what I'm going to be experiencing all game? The good news is for Bearcat fans. And for us is that the defense though, really stepped up after those first two drives. Um, you know, we, 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 I think I was texting and saying, we need to stop. We just need to stop. We need to, whatever it is we need, we need to regroup, but we did. We, we held on some, some huge multiple stops in a row, allowing us time to claw our way back into the game and, and ultimately win it. But, and overall, I, I think this is one of those games you, you look at and you see what this team is made of because this game for the first time in a long time featured adversity. Uh, I don't remember the last time we actually went down at the beginning of the game by, you know, by two scores. Yeah. Now, I mean, ad- adversity was definitely the word of the game and you're right. UCF gets out to that 14 to three lead. And, and by my count here after that, their drives resulted in a punt, 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 turnover on downs, punt, and then they end the half with a field goal. So the defense definitely saved the day for the Bearcats because the, the offense in the first half struggled mightily. And it seemed like it, it started actually at the offensive front, which was surprising. They've been so good and so consistent this season. Uh, they just were kind of getting overwhelmed early in the game. Ritter wasn't getting the time he needed to deliver good passes. Um, the running game, we were getting not much of anything. And then that kind of started flipping, uh, not kind of. In the second quarter, off, the offense got back on track, started moving the ball more consistently, and uh, the rest was history. I mean, other things to look that we get to look forward to from this game that was awesome is is Dokes looked amazing again even though the the average per per carry wasn't off the wasn't off the charts at three and a half i feel like he just he did such a, a good job with the, the volume that he got grinding the ball downfield getting grinding helping us grind clock because at the end of the day i feel like that was also part of the goal was keeping ucf off the field absolutely you know, they, yeah they ran 61 plays 
they average something close to, to 80 per game. So we literally held them to 75% of their, their normal offensive production in terms of plays. We have to keep the defense off the field though. That's, that's, another, that's what we have to do in a game like this. Otherwise they're just going to get tired. They're going to get worn down and the fourth quarter isn't what it is. It, it, and that's what sets this game up to be an amazing finish. Uh, it was definitely a, a wild finish. If I, if I can, I want to mention one thing on the Dokes front. You're right. When, when you play a team like Central Florida, who's going at the pace that they are running, you know, over 80 plays a game, you, you're, you do want to hang on to the ball as much as you can. Dokes, his stats never quite jump out at you. There's obviously been a couple of big games mixed in, but he's so freaking valuable for the offense. Uh, he's obviously very good in the past game. We've seen that. He's been a consistent outlet valve for Ritter throughout the season. But even on, on shorter runs, I mean, there was a run in this game. I think his most impressive run of the game, honestly, might have been a one or zero yard gain in which he, pl- he, he plowed into the middle of the, of the line. I think it was 15. Who, who's number 15 for Central Florida? His name needs to be remembered for all the wrong reasons. Dokes put him on his ass so hard. It was a vicious collision that the announcers even talked about um, where he just absolutely demolished this guy running straight into the line. But he's, he's a message sender for the, for the Bearcats. He, he kind of sets the tone for our team. So despite sometimes numbers that don't pop off the page, I would say crazy important. And he does a hell of a job pass blocking too. Uh, I mean, yeah. What, what else can you say about him? The other thing too that I found frustrating with this game was, and we know we're not big. Sometimes we're not big. Sometimes we are the biggest harpers on refereeing or officiating. This one was at times almost brutal to watch uh the first one and people can say i'm wrong i don't care uh luckily for me i have the microphone i think that that first that first muff punt should have been uh called for for interference i think that he you know the 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 catch the player has the right of way to catch the ball and i definitely think he was forced to move uh, and change how he was how he was approaching to catch the ball regardless of whether he was contacted or not I didn't think that was a good call. I thought that was a little BS. But then we had some other ones where you saw they were just giving UCF all day, all day to push the ball forward when they were stalled. Right. Yet, yet they were calling it immediately as soon as as soon as we can move backwards. So at one one step, we're we're called. <laughs> yeah, I, the the play the officiating in this game was rough to say the least. I don't think we need to hedge there at all. There was an incredible amount of controversial calls or non calls, like you said with the punt return. Um, our friend Bernard Fox went full lawyer after that play and dove into the rule book, sent screenshots of uh, the actual rule and, and then did his full lawyer, you know, interpretation deal that, that kind of sided with you. You know, he's, it, it supported your take that it should have been a penalty and not a turnover. That was, that could have been a huge moment. Um, it was also, a huge moment. We went down to, we literally went down. True. That's, that's how they scored. That's, that's, that's what why we them felt, to get their lead. That's why we felt the anxiety that we felt was because of that non-call and because of the 14, three leads. So, uh, screw off American athletic officiating crew. Actually, uh, I have the rule up right now too. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, I'll give another credit, another shout out to a good tweet that summarized the, the travesty of the officiating, uh, the bearcatjournal.com Twitter account actually listed out all of the controversial calls so that we don't forget any. Um, what was your favorite, favorite terrible call is what he said. 
Phantom PI on fourth and 11. That again, I never actually knew who they were calling PI on or what the infraction was. Terrible spot on the Dokes run. That could have been huge. That was, we we're driving late in the game, trying to, to hold on to possession and that'll take us into this last possession here. But they spotted him. It looked like a yard and a half behind where he, his maybe momentum was paused, but he actually finished two or three yards ahead of that based on the pile pushing him forward. That was clearly a, a mysterious call. Um, the reversal of Doak's TV, TD, the inadvertent whistle that overturned Wiley's long uh, Marshawn Lynch-esque t- touchdown catch where he plowed through several Central Florida defenders. Um, awesome. We're probably missing a couple <laughs> there, but honestly, just atrocious officiating needs to be cleaned up. Do something Oresco. We've had enough. Uh, they must have been paid by Clemson. You know, they, these these refs are there for Clemson, the benefit of Clemson. You know, they don't want to see Cincinnati win. And, you know, they're, they're afraid right now because as of about 43 minutes ago when we're recording this, the, the All-State football playoff predictor came out, and they have us listed at number four right now. We'll find out Tuesday if that means we're actually number four. But as, you know, playoff predictor, yeah, we, we got the fourth best odds of making the playoffs. Um, no, I mean, that's atrocious. But, yeah, getting into that last – this is this is my rant, I guess. And and I know you, you have a different take on this. I woke up this morning, and the first thought I had was – I understand and agree with not scoring the touchdown late in the game that style points don't necessarily matter in a game like this because it's a good team you're playing. It's about getting the win. And when I'm sitting there thinking about it, my view is they did the math and came to the conclusion that we could have a fourth down with two seconds left on the clock that we can run, we can run the clock out ourselves. We don't have to give, put the ball or any opportunity into the hands of central or of central Florida. Granted, we did end up leaving them a, a tick on the clock because we fumbled the. <laughs> yeah. This we game fumbled. looked like one we didn't want to win at times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you're basically hashing out the, there was a big debate at the end about whether or not Dokes should have scored the touchdown on the first down with about a minute 30 left in the game, or should we have uh, done what we did, which was just run out the clock down to two seconds and, and play it out that way? I, I'm not passionate either way. I would have leaned on the side of just go up 10. Get the 10-point lead. There's only a minute 30 left. I think at that point, Central Florida doesn't have many timeouts left, maybe none actually. So, Well, they were, out, they were out of timeouts. They were, they're out of timeouts. So get the touchdown, go up 10. Your defense is going to make them run some clock to score. And then in order to actually tie the game or win the game, they would still have to recover an onside kick, which is, is extremely unlikely. Um, however, I do see the other side. Here's what made me nervous. I'm a Bearcat fan. I'm a Cincinnati sports fan. I know that bad things happen and we're, we're well accustomed to this. And sure enough, on fourth down, Desmond Ritter takes the snap, does some sort of, oh no, it was a terrible snap. It kind of went up in between him and Dokes. He tried, the two of them tried to corral it. Fortunately they did, but if that bounce goes wrong, Central Florida scoops the ball, runs for a touchdown, and we are all left mystified at what happened to our precious once in a lifetime season making a run at the college football playoff because we decided not to go up two scores. You're getting the anxiety just going through all that. Anyway, it, it worked out for us. No need to harp on it. Uh, well, I, I know why they're doing it. They're why they're doing it. I, I, I woke up this morning feeling better about that decision because in real time, I'm sitting there thinking, 
what the heck? I forgot that UCF was out of timeouts. I didn't even think about running out the clock at this point. Like that wasn't on my radar that that's what they were actually trying to do the whole time. I'm just thinking, Oh, we're, we're actually trying to score, but then we switched to, Oh, we're trying to run the clock out. You know, their math guys were up there doing and going, yeah, we could two seconds. We could have fourth down with two seconds. We could just, you know, get the ball and run backwards and then, then take a knee. <laughs> you don't always have to listen to the nerds, get the touchdown, go, go up two scores. It's okay. This hey. comes to you straight from all the people who bet the game <laughs> Cincinnati to cover, which they did not. The spread was at five and a half. Yeah. I actually got the Bearcats at four and I, and I did not uh, reap the benefits. Look, here's what it means though. Here's what People also went up, but against the betters, central Florida converted a two point conversion that literally went through two different sets of Bearcat hands. Yeah. We went for two early in that game. It did not convert. So there were plenty of opportunities to cover that four points or five and a half points uh, that, that we missed. Well, for everybody talking about style points, remember that the spread was opened up at like four. It moved. No, it opened up a pick them. Oh, sorry. It opened up a pick them. What that means is what that means is, is the, is the powers that be that are, that are, that are, you know, that are waving their magic fingers and saying, who's going to win this game. They're saying we were only supposed to win either by the flip of a coin or by one score. They're saying you're either going to win by one point or you're going to win by a t- like a touchdown or less is what they're saying. So you're you're basically winning by one score. That's what they said, and that's what we did. Yeah, we, I'm not a, we I'm not a gambling I'm not a gambling savant by any means, but I'm pretty sure they set those lines based on trying to get even money on both sides. Do I not have that right? It's not I really what's right. going to happen. It's getting money on both sides. Well, at the same time, though, we I think we did what we were expected to do. We won a tough football game, and. That's basically what we did. We won a tough football, a game that was always viewed at as going to be a tough, close football game, and we did it. So let's be happy. Let's celebrate. Do we want to get into talking some uh, some college football playoff? Let's talk some college football playoff. We're going to do it with the great Chris Vanini. He joined the podcast today. He works for The Athletic as a national college football writer focuses on G5 programs. So a lot of insight to offer about the Bearcats this season, what he expects. Can we get, make the playoff? Should we schedule BYU? You know, Hummer, I kind of wish we, me and you would have gotten into that a little bit back and forth. Um, I don't think we got to hash it out in detail, maybe the level I wanted to, but I will let, we'll let you get, get into this great interview with Chris Vanini without further ado, Chris Vanini. We are now joined by Chris Vanini, National College Football Writer at The Athletic. Chris, thanks for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you joining us. We certainly want to talk some college football with you today, specifically the Bearcats. We want to get into last night's big victory over the uh, over Central Florida. Before we do, I was doing some background on you, looking at what where you went to school, uh, creepy googling creep you know just <laughs> looking through the old chris vanini website and i saw you're a graduate of michigan state university which then made me wonder do you also have an asterisk on that 2000 national championship you know i'll tell you someone who i don't want to say asterisk but i'll tell you someone who does understand that they were fortunate and that is tom Izzo. you know when when i covered them i remember he said this in 2011 or 2010 when I was covering the team as a student reporter he he said you know you need you need breaks to win a national championship you need some things to go your way and he felt that Kenyon Martin's injury that year was a fortunate thing that that helped 
uh, Michigan State win the championship. I, I don't think you'd say it's an asterisk, but I think you'd say every team that wins a national championship needs maybe some luck like that. And, and uh, yeah, that, I, I remember that. That was un, really unfortunate back then, and, and Michigan State was one of the teams that uh, was uh, one of the benefactors. The, the calmness with, with which you handled that question just uh, is actually catching me off guard now. Not, <laughs> not phased at all, just, yep, no big deal, guys. It happens to everybody. Everybody uh, gets a little lucky. Well, cause, I mean, in the, in the years since, we've seen a lot of really good Michigan State teams make a Final Four and not win a national championship. And, and, and because Izzo has been to so many Final Fours, he understands that it takes some lucky things to win the championship. And then and that's something that, uh, you know, that he's experiencing. So whenever that's brought up, I just, I remember he said that one time at a, at a scrum and that always kind of stuck with me. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a source of deep anguish in Cincinnati. That's for sure. <laughs> We've had a lot of former players on who constantly mention that asterisk <laughs> and how they bring it up to, to, to the players on Michigan state's team. So yeah, it's always fun to talk about that. Well, let's get into the Bearcats here. Last night, they beat Central Florida 36-33. You had written up a really good preview at the, of the Athletic uh, or at the Athletic, interviewing different sources and coaches about what they expected going into the matchup. Having watched it, having seen it play out, did it go as expected for you? Were there any surprises? What, do, what were your takeaways from that game last night? You know, it, it generally played out the way I thought it would. I mean, if, if you say Cincinnati scores at the at the end it's a it's a larger margin of victory than than the final score was but yeah UCF was taking its shots Cincinnati did a pretty good job defending them UCF didn't get as many big plays as it typically does Cincinnati was in in Cincinnati's offense was able to drain clock that opening drive on the second half held UCF to 60 something plays when they've been averaging 80 something a game so yeah, the coaches I talked to had mentioned those things: big plays, red zone, um, and and then and then the fourth quarter. And that's been Cincinnati's mo for the past five weeks now. And once again, they dominated that final frame and 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 came out with the win. So the coaches I talked to leaned. They figured Cincinnati would win. They thought they were a more complete team. And I think with what you saw from Cincinnati's offense in that after that first quarter was really kind of illustrated that. Yeah. I thought that, I mean, given how the game started, the first quarter was extremely rough with back-to-back punt fumbles. You UCF went straight down the field on the opening drive, which to some extent you kind of expect their best offense to be on an opening drive type situation. But uh, as, as, as we've grown accustomed to the defense really settled in. And I, it seems like if you play that game 10 times, uh, the Bearcats probably come out victorious majority of the time, but also more emphatically than they did last night. Um, Look, I just kind of want to jump into it, talk about the elephant in the room. All year, we've been discussing how the national media seems to write off the idea of a G5 program making the college football playoff. There's reason for them to say that and think that, given that it's never happened before. Uh, UCF certainly felt that pain a few years back. Is this a year where you could see uh, a, a G5 team like the Cincinnati Bearcats actually make the college football playoff? I mean, I think you should. I just, I, I don't really think they will. And I, you know, I, I cover the group of five for the athletic. I was in the same situation last couple of years with, with UCF. And this season is certainly unique because of everything going on. But when I see something like Florida and Texas A&M sitting ahead of Cincinnati, 
that's what gives me pause. And we'll, we'll see when the rankings come out on Tuesday, but typically the CFP rankings put a, put a group of five team a couple spots below where they are in the polls. So if Cincinnati's currently at seven, maybe they're at eight or nine when, when the polls come out on Tuesday. So it's, you know, I, I don't think it should be that way. I have Cincinnati at number five in my rankings, and I think it's pretty obvious why. Uh, but that's why I am skeptical of, of how it can happen. You know, so like F- Florida beat Georgia, Texas A&M beat Florida. They're going to say they have big wins, so that's why they're ahead of Cincinnati. The thing is, if you take out the best win, Cincinnati's probably got like the next three best wins with, with, with Memphis, with SMU, with UCF. I mean, other than, other than Georgia, Florida's best win is what Arkansas. I mean, they, they beat Ole Miss, South Carolina, Missouri, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. I, none of those teams look any good. Maybe Ole Miss, but like, if you look at the depth of victories, I think Cincinnati's got more and they're undefeated and they've played more games. So I I would have them currently at number five, but I don't think the playoff committee will. We just said that actually to each other before you jumped on here was looking even at Ohio State's schedule and they've only played four games so far. They've had one postponed. You know, they had a really nice victory against Indiana yesterday. I would say it was closer than people maybe expected it going into the game. But looking at the rest of their schedule, teams like Michigan State, uh, teams like Rutgers, I think, or no, it wasn't Rutgers, Michigan State, Michigan, and then one other team. There's not a lot of opportunity there for, for big wins for them either. No, and, and that's why I think the Pac-12 is probably going to get left out, even if they're undefeated, because they're only playing six or seven games. They don't have many opportunities for good wins. I think a team like Ohio State kind of gets the benefit of the doubt for those things for perfectly good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're a Florida or you're a Texas A&M and you already have a loss, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm less willing to give that to them. Give With the playoff in mind, right? So there's – a big conversation before the UCF game, surprisingly, uh, given the given the fact that we had probably our biggest game of the year on Saturday. But a couple of days before that, a huge conversation in the Cincinnati community broke out about the idea of Cincinnati and BYU scheduling an impromptu matchup on December 5th. Uh, some of the, the conspiracy theories started flying because Cincinnati rescheduled a game against Tulsa, moved it back a week to d- December 12th. And that led to the debate of should Cincinnati actually schedule this game? Uh, I think there's, there's differing opinions based on the fact that currently Cincinnati's already ahead in the, of the rankings with BYU. Uh, BYU is a top 10 team. Obviously, it presents some risk for Cincinnati. But if, in my opinion, operating from the prism of do anything possible to make the college football playoff, it would seem like a top 10 matchup would do a lot of good for the Bearcats down the stretch you seemed more apprehensive on, on Twitter. Can you elaborate on, on why that may not be a win-win proposition for the Bearcats? Well, I think, I mean, as a college football fan, I'd love for it to happen. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I understand that some people think that, you know, the temple game could get rescheduled to them because temple has had COVID issues all season long. And maybe that game gets moved back a week. And maybe that's why, the fifth is open for Cincinnati. Maybe that's why the American did it that way, which would make sense. But let's say, let's say it happens anyway. And let's say the fifth is open in order to, in order to have the game happen, you need to have two parties that want to make it happen. And I'm just not convinced that either or both teams will want to make it happen because the downside outweighs 
the the upside. If you're Cincinnati and you want to take that chance and you want to not have a bye week before two games against Tulsa, yeah, sure, go for it. But if you're BYU, depending on what the rankings look like on Tuesday, if you all if it looks like you already have a New Year's six spot guaranteed, if you're in that eight nine range, and, and you have San, you have one game San Diego State left to play. I don't see the benefit for them doing it because I don't think they will. They will, no matter what BYU does, will have will have an ability to get 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 up into the playoff spot. So, does BYU want to do it for one? And, and and the other part is Cincinnati needs to be the highest ranked conference champion to get that Group of Five spot. So, what if they beat uh, lose to BYU? Say they get blown out by BYU but they beat Tulsa twice. They win the American. Well, what if coastal Carolina is undefeated? Coastal Carolina could get that, that new year's six spot that goes to the top group of five champion. Cause they could be ranked higher if they're undefeated. So I just, I don't think the upside is, is high enough for either of these teams to make it work. I would love to see it happen. I'd love for Cincinnati or BYU to say, no, we're going for it. We're going to play, but just kind of the way these things play out, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. And then the other thing is I would love to see both Cincinnati and BYU in New Year's Six Bowls playing against Power 5 teams. I don't like the idea that they kind of have to knock each other out for one person to kind of maybe maybe get a chance at, at, the, at the playoff. I think back to I think it was 2009 when we had undefeated Boise State and undefeated TCU play in the Fiesta Bowl. They were, they were both non-BCS teams. And that was lame. Like we wanted to see these undefeated really good non-power teams play the power conference team to see how they, they hold up. So I also just generally don't like the idea of BYU Cincinnati having to knock one or the other out, but yeah, I just, I don't think it, it might happen, but I, I'm, I'm skeptical that either team sees enough of an upside that is again, contingent on what the rankings look like on Tuesday. Well, I think that from a Cincinnati fan perspective, I think there's, there's definitely two sides of the coin. There's a very vocal, part of the fan base screaming no absolutely no don't don't do this but i think the, the the part of the fan base that's screaming yes do it is we see it as the upside as being if we win it's another it's a top, it's a top 10 victory on your on your calendar we're right like you said you have us at number five is that good enough to push us to number four assuming clemson who's also a super spreader of covid you know can't can't stay on the football field the rest of the season and as of right now the playoff predictor is is putting us to in the fourth spot right above clemson uh, the one that just came out today. You know, so is, is that something that you see that the only upside is that it, it kind of gives the committee something else to look at, something to say, we can't keep them out now? It certainly helps. Um, you know, if they play BYU and if they win, yeah, it, it certainly helps the chances. It's just I'm, I'm talking everything that goes into before you decide to even play the game. So, like, right. you know – it, 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 you know, no, say Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. Even if Cincinnati is undefeated, I don't think they're going to put an undefeated Cincinnati over over a Clemson or a Notre Dame. Notre Dame beat Clemson. Clemson beat Notre Dame when they were full strength. They don't have any other losses. I don't see Cincinnati jumping either of them. And then if Alabama and Ohio State go undefeated, there's your four. And if Florida upsets Alabama, they'll probably put Florida ahead of them too. So that that's where it just kind of comes down to – the sheer amount of space and even if Cincinnati plays the game and even if they win, I still think their chances of making it are, are they're better, but they're not, they're still not great. 
Wow. Yeah, uh, you, la you laid out the dark reality of potentially being <laughs> checkmated uh, already in the college football playoff, given some of the matchups that are coming out down the line, which means maybe the greatest hope for the Bearcats is North Carolina somehow upsetting Notre Dame this coming weekend. Yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, in, in weird things can happen. Um, maybe Florida, I don't, I don't think Florida has anybody else left before Florida State, but it's just, it's just, it's weird. And, and, you know, Michael Resco is now going to bang the drum and talk about number of games played. And, you know, I'm with him on that, but I, again, I think Cincinnati deserves that spot. I'm just speaking uh, based on what college football playoff committee history looks like and, and where this kind of uh, fits in. So we're, what you're saying is we're once again, Bearcats are huge Brian Kelly fans. <laughs> we're going to be wanting to see him be uber successful, crush Clemson, and we're Nick Saban fans. We want to see Alabama just absolutely crush Florida. You know, pretty much. And 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 and, and Ohio State fans as well. You know, uh, obviously Cincinnati and Ohio State uh, uh, it's tough. have, I certain, have certain feelings I, about each other. So, yeah. All, all, all I, was, your, I, was, I was cheering for him yesterday. All, I was cheering all, for him against Indiana. All, all your friends. Yeah, pretty much. Well, when you compare, let's get into maybe the Bearcats specifically and just what you've seen on the field so far this season, because obviously the defense has taken a leap from last season. It was already one of the better defenses in the country. Um, we saw our one matchup against Ohio State obviously didn't go in our favor, but honestly, I thought that it, it was much more of an offensive problem in that game in terms of how we were uh, setting the table for our defense. But given what you've seen on the field, how do you view the Bearcats stacking up in individual matchups against the best in the country, like Ohio state, like Clemson, like Notre Dame, is that a situation where you see them competing or are we just playing for the right to uh, get thrashed? I mean, defensively. Yes. I, I think Cincinnati's defense is legit coaches. I talked to, you know, talk about there's NFL draft picks in that front seven, the defensive back, the defensive backs are long, they're, they're athletic, they're fast. It's got, you, you can, you got everything you want. I think from that defense, it, it, it's offensively. I think where the questions come in and obviously the offense has been really good for the last five weeks. Desmond Ritter has been really good. I just don't think if you're matched up against a, a, a Clemson or an Alabama that, you know, Desmond Ritter's running game is going to be nearly as uh, effective as it has been in, in some of these other games or the read option and stuff like that. And, you know, he's been better. The, the passing is still not elite level. I mean, when you look at Alabama, and you look at the teams that beat Alabama, you, you have to have an elite quarterback, um, someone who can play out of their mind, Johnny Manziel, Joe Burrow, those type of guys. Those are the ones who beat Alabama. And Desmond Ritter's been much improved, but he's just not on that level. So, you know, say they play each other, can, can the defense hold on long enough in, in a game that I don't think Cincinnati would score a ton? I, I don't know. But I, I think the defense is legit. Um and, you know, you look at a team like Ohio State, maybe their defense isn't so good, and maybe Cincinnati could put could move the ball on them. But, uh, Des, Des Ritter has been the conversation of uh, du jour this season, given that the first three games, I mean, the, the Cincinnati community was ready to bench him. Move on to right. Ben Bryant. Let's see what the unknown is. And now five games later, uh, he's just absolutely been dominant these last, last few weeks. But we know about the inconsistency, especially throwing the ball downfield. I would say that the athletes around him this season uh, on wide receiver, be that be at the transfer from Notre Dame, Michael Young, uh, and some other Jason, Jason, Jason Jackson have been much better this season. They've been getting open consistently, giving him bigger, bigger windows to throw into. I think that's all into his favor. 
Um, so, you know, I, Hummer, you got any, any other questions here for Chris? Not any questions. We, we actually, we hit, we actually, we hit Ritter pretty hard last week. Cause yeah. I was, I was of the impression that if you're looking at Ritter, his, his lack of ability at the moment to throw the ball downfield is kind of that thing in my mind that stops him from reaching that level of being elite and into that point to where if he were hitting those passes, I think maybe we're having a, a different conversation about him. Maybe we're talking, and this is a huge leap to this, to this part, but maybe we're talking Heisman potential if he's able to complete those types of passes and more of an all around player. And I think that's also something maybe from a, a story perspective or, or something that also kind of doesn't help us with that playoff committee is when they see that being a glaring kind of like the, the hole on offense is that, that piece right there. I mean, other than yesterday's game, I mean, Cincinnati has been blowing out their opponents. They've been scoring 40-something points a game over the last five weeks, so it's not like they're not scoring. It's not like they're winning close, ugly games, and, and you know, it's it's um, it's, it's no knock against Rudy. He's been really good the last five weeks. He's been really good in the fourth quarter. He's been incredibly clutch. The third downs he picks up, the big, run, uh, the big runs that he has. I was at the SMU game here in Dallas and I saw him run all over them in that, in that fourth quarter. So uh, no, he's been, he's been really good. He is a, he is an important reason why they are where they are right now. Um, and just because, you know, just because he's not a Heisman candidate or maybe an NFL prospect uh, or a high level NFL prospect. Um, it's not meant to take any, take away in any way from what, what uh, he's done this year. Yeah. I think he's blown expectations out of the water, frankly, uh, given coming into the season. And then after the start, I think that because the converse, conversation has changed and now we're talking, can we get in the playoff? Can we you know, be one of the top four teams in the country? I think people are raising the bar and kind of changing the, the level that he needs to reach. You've covered some of the group of five teams over the last few years that have been in the same conversation the Bearcats are in now. I've got this working theory that the Bearcats as currently constructed are a bit different than the G5 teams that have made runs at it in the past. And I want you to tell me if I'm wrong. And that's the fact that they are kind of a defense first team. That's where the strength of the team lies. And that being able to stack up better against the best teams in the country, as opposed to other G5 teams in the past being a little bit more, you know, run and gun on offense. We've got the sexy offensive numbers, uh, not as much substance defensively. Am I wrong in that? Has Central Florida been historically better defensively than I'm giving them credit for? Um, Is there anything to that? I mean, they were they were pretty good defensively those two undefeated years. They weren't great. I, I think the, the conversation that comes up all the time with these situation, situations is if you put them in a Power 5 conference schedule, could they survive? And I think Cincinnati could, and everybody points to the, the trenches, the offensive line, the defensive line, could they hold up? And I think Cincinnati could. So I, I do think that's different. Are the people on the committee going to think that? I don't know. And I, but I also think it's like I said, it's not like Cincinnati's winning these low scoring games, relying on their defense to pull it out. And it's kind of ugly. It's not, they've, they've been blowout wins for the most part. They've been putting up 40 something points a game. So it's, it's, it's a different situation in, in that. But if, if you were to compare them to, you know, the UCFs, the, the, the Memphises, the, the Houston's and, and what have you, I think what you would say Cincinnati does hold up on the offensive and defensive lines. And if you put them in a big 10 schedule, they would compete for the big 10 championship. Um, so I, I, I do think that's probably a little bit different. Do you have any insight into, this is kind of an off the, 
off the deep end question. I don't actually know if it's even that relevant, but right now we're still competing in the American athletic conference. There's a lot of fans like ourselves that are not all that happy to be in the American athletic and would like to see ourselves move, move into a power conference in the future. Um, do you know anything on that front in terms of who's talking about what, what rumors are out there flying around? Are there, are there any restructuring conversations happening at this point? Not, well, I mean, there are group of five teams that want to move up. There's plenty that want to move in the power five. I think what I would just say is we don't know that realignment is necessarily going to happen again from that level because the reason everything happened around 2010 and all that was because people wanted a TV network. Now they all have TV networks. So there's no, there's less incentive to add them. The big 12, a number a handful of years ago decided not to expand because by doing so, it, it meant more per school payout. You know, maybe the Big 12 got more money, but it was less per school. So the schools in the conference didn't want to add anybody. And I'm not sure there's anybody in the group of five that will add to a conference's payout enough. So it's not like, you know, people kind of think it's musical chairs. There's only a handful of spots left. Who's going to get them? There may, the music may have already stopped. There, there may just be nothing else out there. And I think it's more likely you see something like if the big 12 decides to add the Arizona schools from the PAC 12 or something like that, uh, as, as opposed to a, a UCF or a Cincinnati or a Houston or, or, or what have you, because the incentives have changed. It's not necessarily about get these TV markets to, to, to have a TV network. Um, it's about, can they bring in enough money to the league that the per school payout is going to go up and in those payouts are already going up. The big 10 is going to have a new contract coming up soon. The sec, uh, you know, e e I think ESPN is about to buy the, the three thirty sec package deal from CBS. So these conferences are already going, the power five are going to continue to grow their pot exponentially. I'm not sure expansion um, for, to the group five level just really does anything and and so it's just it's it's different you know we, we all kind of think back to 2010 ish and be like oh what happened then could this happen again i i really think it's a lot different this time around and i'm not sure there's going to be a situation where anybody moves up so playoff expansion <laughs> that's, yes that's I, the fight I, yes and in in the, the 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 league that should be pushing for playoff expansion more than anybody and they did this year finally is the pac-12 They've been left out for three years in a row, probably going to be left out a fourth year in a row. It's not, they should want expansion. <laughs> they should want a, a guaranteed berth for them. It should be, it should be eight. It should be one spot for every power five conference champion. It should be one group of five and then two at larges. And that way the regular season matters because your conference championship game matters. Uh, this idea that it makes a regular season irrelevant is not true whatsoever for those exact reasons you need to get to your conference championship game. You need to win it to be secure that you're, you're in a spot. And at the same time, it's not good for college football that the PAC 12 has been left out for four years in a row. And there's less interest in football in California and stuff like that in general, college football needs to have interest from everywhere in the country for the long-term development of the sport. Uh, it's not good that, the same handful of teams, the same region of the country are the only ones really competing for a national championship when it comes down. It, it needs to be known that 
all year, you know, the Big 12 ain't going to make the comfortable playoff now. We still got a month to go in the season. It would be better if everyone in the Big 12 knew that they still had a chance, if they had, if they had an automatic berth. So I really think for the health of college football as a whole, both Power 5, both Group of 5, for everything, that they do need to expand it. Um, and I think every year you kind of get more and more people starting to lean that way. And if a Cincinnati and a BYU go undefeated, uh, it's going to, it's going to add to it even more. I love it. It almost makes too much sense. I know. Everybody. It, it was like when they didn't want to do the playoff forever. And then they realized, Oh, if we do a playoff, we'll make more money that way. So let's do it. <laughs> Eventually they'll realize the same thing will happen here. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's best better for college football because then at the same time, group of five teams, you know, it matters for us too. We're, we're fighting. Maybe we do actually want to be playing BYU now. We want to schedule more of these games so we can be the best in the, in the group of five. You know, group of five, we should just form, this is conspiracy theory way off the deep end. We should just form one super conference nationwide. <laughs> yeah, so, someone asked me that in a, in a mailbag question the other day. Um I mean, we, we can't even get the Sun Belt and Conference USA to properly kind of realign. So I don't think any sort of super conference is going to happen. It probably really wouldn't be that good anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say this. You, you you look at the SEC and they're playing conference only. When you have all the good teams playing each other, it, it makes it harder for someone to stand out. So, I mean, it certainly it could be the case there. Well, we'll let you go here, Chris. Uh, it's been fun talking to you. But before we do, I did want to ask you one off-topic off question outside of football. Um, what are you – everyone's spending a lot of time isolated still. What are you spending your time doing when you're not watching football games? Any good shows you're watching, good movies to recommend? Uh, what's on your radar right now? Well, I spent most of the quarantine, like going back to March, I watched all of Star Wars Clone Wars on Disney+. Plus kind of a CGI cartoon uh, show. I think there were like seven seasons and the final season came out like in February or something. Uh, that was good. Honestly, I, I'm probably working more too, which is weird because it's just, a, it's less traveling. It's more on the phone and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, outside of that, it's watching some Star Wars stuff, watching pro wrestling more and uh, sleeping more. Have you been a member of the virtual audience in the wrestling? I've seen that. I've not, I've not. Okay. I, I, I can't make the time commitment to necessarily be <laughs> sitting there for three hours. So you, so if you're, if you're a virtual fan, you've got to be there for the three hours, the entire thing. I, I mean, I assume, I don't know. Okay. I haven't done it. <laughs> I just was impressed. I, I don't, I'm not a wrestling guy, but I saw the, the clips on a commercial and just couldn't believe the screens surrounding the entire arena. Yeah, good they, job. yeah. They did like the NBA bubble fan thing, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't done it, but I've thought about it. Well, we appreciate you joining us, Chris. Uh, again, everybody, you can find his work at The Athletic, where he writes about college football. Also, non-UC related, non-G5 related, or I guess it kind of is, uh, but you wrote a good piece on Southern Miss recently about the rise and fall of that program uh, that I found interesting. So I recommend checking out his work. Chris, thanks for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today. Yep, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate thanks. it.